Hey guys, it's Lindsay with NBC Media. Thanks for listening to our podcast and be sure to look at our website for events that you can get involved in. See you next Sunday. Turn your Bibles, if you would, please, to Philippians. Philippians 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 8. And uh, actually, we're going to do a series. I, I haven't done a series on Philippians. I've preached out of it. Before I start, though, I want to ask, does anybody have uh, in their Bible the word you underline in the first uh, 10 verses or so? Does anybody else have the word you underline? Sometimes I, I, you do, huh? It says request of, for you all this joy. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I had the word you underlined in there, and, and I don't remember what preacher it was I was listening to. Uh, it may have been Don, it may have been Larry. I, I really don't remember. No, no, no. In the whole, in the first nine verses, I just had the word you underlined in every place between verse one and verse nine. And I, and I have a couple of notes, but I don't have who I, who it was that said them. So uh, anyway, just something. Anyway, uh, we'll be looking at verses one through eight. Uh, uh, yeah, we're at verses one through eight. Sermon is entitled, Why Can't I Find Happiness? We're going to be looking at uh, happiness and joy uh, in the first few sermons, and then uh, we'll continue to go on through the... There's only four chapters in Philippians, so it won't take very long to do this. But uh, uh, but anyway, I've been kind of wanting to do that, so uh, uh, we'll be tackling that over the next several Sundays. And also, as Richard said, I do want to mention Revelation. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, Come on Wednesday nights. We have a study guide to follow by, and we'll be going through some verses, and we've had some pretty good discussion last Wednesday night. And if you want to get a study guide ahead of time, just let me know, and I'll email it out. I mail email out uh, several uh, to uh, people. So if you'd like to have a study guide, even if you can't be with us and like to have the study guide, please let me know your email address, and we'll put it down. Um, but let's go ahead and read these verses and then uh, we'll go on ahead. Philippians 1, 1 through 8. It says, Paul and Timothy, bond, services, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the, glory, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of all of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are you all are partakers with me of Christ, of grace, for God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray, Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your Word, to read your Word, and to understand what you have to say to us through it. Lord, just open our ears and our hearts to the special truths you have in store today as we learn how to discover true happiness. Bless the reading of your word, I pray in your precious name. Amen. 
A jail cell is no fun place to be. I can remember as a kid touring an old jail cell, hearing the door close behind you, and thinking how scary a place it really was. Maybe you've had the same experience. This is the scenario we find ourselves in Philippians. Think how you might have felt thrown in a small, dark, dirty, non-climate-controlled cell for teaching because he taught and preached the Bible. That's where Paul was. This is the setting for the book of Philippians. Paul knew this setting all too well. We know of at least four different times that he was put into prison, and then at those times he wrote letters for us to read. This particular time, Paul was imprisoned in Rome around those A.D. 62. By this time, the Apostle Paul had been a believer for about 25 years. We know through reading through his books, his letters, that he had been beaten with rods three times, once was stoned and survived, three times he was shipwrecked, he was often without food, received 39 lashes from the Jews on five different occasions, and of course, he was imprisoned several times. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I could find a lot of joy in what Paul endured. But that's what we're going to talk about first, is joy. There's one word that stands out more than any other in this short epistle, and that's happiness or joy. In this relatively brief letter, Paul mentions the word several times, or those words are derivatives of those words several times, but he also mentions the word Christ. And I counted in my... In, in those four chapters, 36 times that he mentions the word Christ. And I believe this is for a pretty simple reason. Paul's happiness was always found in Christ. Always. Now in all four chapters, Paul is going to have something to say about several different words. The first word... Kara, which actually means joy. That's the Greek word for joy, kara. Or you could also say happiness. Secondly, would be the Greek word karasi, uh, which, which describes grace. And that is what produces happiness. It's what produces joy in our lives. And the third word is noose, which is the mind or understanding. Now these three elements work very closely together and they'll help us understand how to find 
true happiness. What I think Paul is saying here is that God gives us grace when we receive Christ. Grace is, of course, it's unmerited, unearned favor of God. Nothing we can do can impress God enough to give it to us. He does it on His own. Imagine for just a minute, God is always thinking about us. You know, I don't know about you, but on our refrigerator, we have several magnets, you know, to save the dates. You guys keep those on your refrigerator? We've got save the date notices back from 12 years ago on our refrigerator. It's not that we don't like taking them down, but they do a real good job of holding up the Chinese menus, so I just leave them up there. And all the other things that we hold up on our refrigerator. Do you know if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it? Isn't that kind of neat to think about? You are always on God's mind. So God proves it to us by giving us curse. Then as a, a result of that curse or grace, we have car, joy. Notice how those two are kind of intertwined there. Where does this joy live? It lives in our minds. It lives in our hearts. We can have joyful understanding, which again brings us right back to that Greek word, nous, or mind, understanding. So I think that the source of real joy comes from grace, and it lives in the mind. So it is a gift God gives us. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it up on our own. We can't buy it. But once we possess it, it can spread through us to other people. Now here's the question for today. Do you have it? Do you have to joy, true joy and happiness? And if you do, why are you not always continually? Why are you not always happy? Why are, you, why are you not continually happy? Well, I think through the study of this scripture and continuing on in Philippians, I think I've got a pretty good answer to that question. The reason that you and I are not happy is that we really don't know what it takes to make us happy. And because we don't know what it would take, to make us happy, we don't know how or where to get it. Now, I'm not saying that you're not happy at sometimes, but I sure meet a lot of people that really probably about as unhappy as they are happy. And they're continually looking for joy. I was looking through the internet and I found this website and it calls, it's called I Love Being a Christian.com. Isn't that neat? I love being a Christian.com. 
And you can look at that up. It has several different articles and blogs and different things like that. But they use, I was, I was looking at happiness, true happiness for a Christian, true joy for a Christian. And it brought up the scripture verse John 10.10. 10. John 10.10. 10. I'm going to read the second part of it. And it says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have life or that they may have it more abundantly. And the site went on to say, to create this abundant, happy life, seek a relationship, not a religion. Did you get that? Seek a relationship and not a religion. One of the things I found out over the many years that I've been a Christian and many years I've been in ministry is that religion in and of itself does not necessarily bring happiness. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ brings happiness. As Paul writes, he immediately tells us that he and Timothy are slaves of Jesus Christ. And he says it in a kind of a matter-of-fact way. Oh, by the way, I'm a slave. You ever said that? You know, sometimes in my job, I kind of think I'm a slave. But have you ever thought of yourself as a slave to Jesus Christ? Now remember, with this setting, he's in prison. And as we go on, remember we're going to find out that he had a jailer, that, that the whole prison fell apart during an earthquake. Okay, I'm going to get ahead of myself here. but And I, I've been reading some blogs that said, you know, Paul was kind of a, maybe becoming used to bring, being a prisoner. Well, listen, folks, I, the, the studies that I've done and some of, the, uh, some of the things that I've looked at, these prisons that they would stay in generally, just holes in the wall, uh, hewn in a wall or cave that had bars on the front of it. A lot of times they would be held in shackles that were attached to these stone walls. There was no air conditioning. There was no heat. So if you're in the summer, it's going to be hot, damp, and it's going to be musty and nasty and bugs and everything else. During the winter, it's going to be really, really cold. And animals are going to want to seek shelter, so they're going to be in there also. But we always found Paul, whatever state he was in, he was rejoicing. He had happiness. Most of the time, a prisoner would be counting the days to getting out. I don't know if you've seen, I, you know, I have a Saul Sank Redemption. I, I've, I've watched a lot of movies on prisoners and, or even some of these things on Discovery Channel about prisons around the, around the world. And generally, you'll find in each cell a calendar, and the calendar will be marked off, and they're counting the days down before they get out. And a lot of times they are depressed without hope. What that prisoner really wants is really kind of simple. They want out of the situation that they're in. And you are not, you and I are not all a lot different in that situation. We find ourselves in circumstances surrounded by difficult people, worried about our futures. Things are tough. What do we want? We want 
out. But consider this, what if God's plan for you is to be right where you are and to be happy at the same time? We're going to talk next about some thieves, four thieves. And you'll get this as we go along, but now Paul is going to help us with this because as we walk through the book of Philippians, Paul is going to point out four different thieves. They're like, they're like robbers. These thieves step in at every opportunity to steal our happiness. I want to go ahead and name these off today. And then we'll have more to say about them a little later on as I continue looking at the book of Philippians. The first one is the thief of circumstances. The thief of circumstances. These are all the things that are happening all around us. For Paul, we would say that his circumstances were that he was sitting in a jail cell, locked up. And he had done absolutely nothing wrong. He was simply telling people about Jesus and the religious crowds didn't like that. Circumstances can often be out of our control. We even say sometimes that we are a victim of our circumstances. You ever, you ever said that? You ever heard that? Oh, I have. If I could just change one thing in my life that keeps happening, then I would be happy. I've met people who drink excessively every day. And I've heard them even wanting to get out of it. If I could just get away from this evil habit, I would be happy. Or a myriad of different things in their life. If I could just get away from this, I would be happy. The second thief that I think is people. You have difficult people in your life. Maybe you're married to a difficult person. Your kids are difficult. Your friends are difficult. You might think that your job would be great if it wasn't for the people you got to work with or the boss you have. And if it wasn't for the people, you could be happy. The third thief, I think, is things. I've preached on things an awful lot over, the, but I, I think you know, that's what Paul is going to mention in these things. Things. Jesus tells us that our life does not consist of the things that we own. Yet we spend the majority of our lives trying to get more and more things. And too many times we think that happiness comes from the things that we own. And if we can own the right things, 
we will be happy. You know people like that? Oh, if I just had that boat, oh, that would make me happy. If I just had that new car, get out of this old jalopy that I'm in, that would make me happy. Oh, if I just had that $200,000 house, that'd make me happy. Things. And the fourth thief I look at is worry. Oh, we've talked about worry so many times. Worry robs robs us of our happiness and it drags us down. It creates all kinds of physical problems. If Paul wanted to worry, he certainly had reason to do so. He was facing the possibility of death, execution. No lawyer to help him. Many of his friends weren't sure if they could even be seen with him for fear the same thing would happen to them. So here's a man sitting in a cold, dark, musty cell, chained to a guard who was definitely not his friend, people who hated him all around him, not sure where he would get his next meal or if he would even see daylight for the next day. But he describes or he decides to write a letter to tell us and those Christians in Philippi how to be genuinely happy. Doesn't that seem kind of strange for a guy in that type of situation writing a letter how to be genuinely happy? I'd probably be writing a letter to say, I hate this place. Break me out. But that's not the kind of guy that Paul was. That's not the kind of Christian that Paul was. And oh, what an example he set. So I think there's a couple of different responses that we can, that we can put to this letter. One is how can someone with everything going wrong in their lives at the moment give me advice about finding, in, about finding happiness? Or another response is that in all that Paul was facing, if he is genuinely happy, how can I not take his advice? Because as bad as my life might be right now, it's not as bad as his. So how can I not listen? Now I don't know about you, but I'm going to take the second response. How can I, how can I possibly not listen to, about, to Paul's instructions? The third point that I have today is reminders. Here's some things that Paul tells us that describes his focus on this time, during this time. This is his personal letter. And I want to read it as though Paul was writing it directly to you. And here's some things that, I, that, brought, that brought Paul happiness. Some things that he reminds us of. If you've got your Bible still open, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5, and he tells us that believers 
are never alone. Verse 5 says, I'm going to read it out of the message this time. I am so pleased that you have continued on in this with us, believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you heard it, right up to the present. We have a partnership. You are a partner in the gospel. We have a partnership in life. And we are not in this alone. As believers, God did not bring us this far to leave us. Now look at verse 6. And again, I'll read this out of the message. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Paul says that God will finish the work that he started in you. Now this fact brought great joy and happiness to Paul, knowing that the God who saved him would walk through life with him every step of the way and deliver him in person at the gates of heaven. And friends, he's going to do the same thing for you and me. He's going to welcome us into heaven, but even more, when we are going through the trials and the hardships of life, He's right there with us. You remember the poem, Footsteps? Most every Christian I knew, older than me, had that somewhere posted in their house how Jesus would walk beside us, but in the, in the sand, when times got tough, in the poem it says, I only saw one set of footsteps, and he said, that's where I carried you. He does. He not only walks beside us, but when times get really tough, if we rely upon Jesus, he'll carry us through those times. Now, sometimes we don't always see our plans to fruition. Sometimes our plans get kind of held up and they're not finished. God never leaves His plan unfinished. When God starts a work, He always has a plan in mind and He always carries it through to the finish. Isn't that something to be happy about? God never stops on us. Now look at verse 7. This is one of my favorite verses. We're all in this together. And it says out of the English Standard Version, It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. We're all together in this thing that we call life. The Christian life. Paul is reminding us again that things work to 
things work for the better when we work together. Another scripture verse that I want you to look at is 1 Corinthians 1.10. 1 Corinthians 1.10, and I'm reading this out of the Common English Bible, and it says, Now I encourage you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, agree with each other and don't be divided into, into rival groups. Instead, be restored with the same mind and the same purpose. It's often called unity. There's also a word that we use that we see a lot now, especially in our professional lives, called synergy. You've heard of that. And I found this, inner, this, this illustration. You could take two horses that could pull a thousand pounds by themselves and put them together. The math says that they would, pay, that they would pull a total of 2,000 pounds, but when they work together... They somehow do more, perhaps 3,000 pounds. We are better than we are alone. We are better together than we are alone. And actually, I was looking up those statistics, that, that little illustration that they had, and horses by themselves, uh, I forgot what they call them, big pack horse things, not the racing horses, but they might be able to pill 10,000 pounds by themselves. And you put them together and you think 20,000, but actually you put them together and there's a host of different things. I went through one that gave all this math formulas and whatever else. But some old, evidently a, a farmer or something got on there and he was pretty simple. And he said, it's because they just know they're working together and they can pull three, three, four times the amount. See, folks, we can do so much more when we work together. We can do so much more when we're happy about the work that we're doing together. You know, when we were remodeling, and I was thinking about this a little bit when we were remodeling the sanctuary, and I, I wasn't here a lot for when we, when we did the downstairs. I kind of came in on the tail end of that. But I, I can remember when we were working together, we could get a lot of things done. But when you're here by yourself, we get sidetracked. Folks, when we work together, we can spread the gospel so much more efficiently than just one person that do it by themselves. And plus, when we're together, don't you seem to be happy? A little more happy? Paul tells us that we are partners. In verse 7 again, if you still got your finger on verse 7 again, it tells us that we are partners in at least three things. We are partners in grace. We are partners in prison. A reminder that we're all in this together. And we are partners in defense of the gospel. You may have heard this before, but the Greek word for defense is apologia. It's where we get our word apologetics. It is arguing for faith in such a way that it becomes attractive to others. 
Happiness is not as simple as we would like for it to be. And you might even say that it is kind of a, kind of like dust in the wind. It fleet, it's fleeting. We think we're close to having it, but it always seems to slip away. That's because we're putting our happiness in things that are not eternal. When I think of apologetics, I think of C.S. Lewis. And, and I don't know, you, you've probably seen uh, the Narnia books or, or the movies and different things. And C.S. Lewis wrote a lot of books. But I found this, and I, I thought it was kind of interesting, that C.S. Lewis had been one of the greatest writers and thinkers in the Christian faith. But early in his life, he was very negative, pessimistic. And said often that he never thought that he or anyone else could actually find happiness. But in his 30s, those who were his friends, one was Tolkien. You might remember that name from the Lord of the Rings, right? Didn't he do that? Write those? I think. Wrote about his life stating that during that time his life was completely transformed. His life was changed. He finally started looking beyond the things most of us look at, and he realized that, there, that, that the only chance for real happiness was to stop looking at things, at circumstances, possessions, and start with a person. And he found Christ. That's what the article said, that he found Christ. But I'd rather turn that around and say, Christ found. Him, and he just submitted. He finally realized Christ was calling him. So I, you know, I'm going to end this up with, you know, just close with that I believe that happiness begins with a choice. And the choice is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the first true ticket to real happiness and joy. Now let's say that you've already accepted Christ with your, as your personal Savior, and you still struggle with being happy because there's circumstances in your life. Have you given those circumstances over to Christ? Have you said, Christ, I, I've made a mess of this. I can't handle it anymore but I've been trying so hard. Lord, would you just take these things and restore the joy back into my life? He'll do it. But he can't do it if we won't give it over to him. He can't do that. So there's our challenge for today. Give it over to Christ. Lay it at His feet. Say, Christ, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to say it's going to make an overnight change, but I can tell you this, you will find a peace that you're not messing with it all by yourself. But I do know that God promised that He would help us. Are you going to let Him?
Let's pray as we prepare ourselves for our invitation time. Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I thank you so much again for this time together. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for the book of Philippians that Paul wrote to us, how to experience true joy and happiness and other items that we'll be coming up with in the next few weeks. Lord, I just pray that Number one, if there's someone in our midst today that does not know you as their personal Savior, how can they find true joy and peace in their lives without having you in it? Lord, I pray that they make a decision. And that the decision would be to make you Lord and Savior of their lives. But secondly, Lord, as Christians, Lord, if we put our problems at your feet, you promised us true joy and happiness. But we got to rely on you for it. Guys, and direct us to this time of invitation, I pray. Amen. Stand with me as we sing together.